I don't know if you've ever tried to pull off a milestone, amazing surprise event. But if you have, you realize that it takes a lot of timing and an unbelievable set of circumstances to line up perfectly so it can happen as it's supposed to. If you know anything about the military operations and especially the SEAL teams, every single assignment they have, especially the ones that need to be carried out to rescue someone's life, has to be absolutely timed perfect. No mistakes, no misjudgments, nothing out of line. Everything has to follow a path and a preparation process to make sure that when it's carried out so that that person survives the carrying out of that task, they come through it all and everybody comes home and survives. To be able to do that, it's an incredible array of timing. If you're an orchestra leader or a stage director and you select at some point just random people that you meet along the way and ask them to participate without practice or preparation in an incredible event, can you imagine how well it would have gone? What if this morning, instead of any of us up on the stage, we would have just randomly selected you on the way in, ask you to participate, put you on the stage, hand you an instrument and say, go at it, hope it goes well. As you can well imagine, anything like that that has to go as planned or prepared in the process has to be timed out perfect. And everything and every person involved has to do their part well. The problem in this incredible story that you and I have celebrated dozens and dozens and dozens of times that has now been shared over 2,000 years is a random selection of people, not by the people themselves, but by God who knew exactly who to pick and who to choose for what part and to play a role in the greatest event in the history of humanity. And not a one of them had ever prepared before. Not a one of them knew the other one was going to be a part of it. But every single one of them and every single aspect of this story had to go off perfectly as planned. From everything to the beginning of the story to the very end of the story that we celebrate here this morning. Only God could pull that off. I mean, when you look at the amount of people that are chosen and the particular ones that are chosen to be a part of this event, where it happened, when it happened, how it happened, you've got to be convinced that only God could pull this event off. None of the people in it ever imagined this is what was going to take place. I've got to believe that Joseph never thought his life would go the way it did. I've got to believe that Mary never thought that that's how her first child would be born. Going to Bethlehem is not where they wanted to spend the last month or the last few days of their pregnancy. Rome was an occupied territory, and if you've ever traveled to another country that is being occupied by someone who's not necessarily friendly, you don't feel very safe. My wife and I had the privilege of being pastors to missionaries in the Ivory Coast for a number of years, and Two different times when we landed, they were under military coup. As a matter of fact, we had already landed, got settled in the guest house when they called us in the morning and said, you can't leave where you're at. There's been shooting everywhere. I'm okay with that. I stayed where I was. And then they said, okay, we can travel now. And at every single checkpoint along the way, you weren't sure whose side who was on. And they all had bazookas and military weapons all over the place, checked all of our papers, inspected every aspect of our vehicle, and then sent us on to the next checkpoint, to the next checkpoint, to the next checkpoint, till finally we arrived at our destination. And I thought, I don't feel very comfortable here right now. 
You can well imagine that neither today in this context, I can't even imagine that Mary and Joseph felt that Bethlehem would be the place they would end up having their baby. They wanted to stay in Nazareth. That's where they were from. Not a stranger in a strange place, born in a stable. None of it seems right, but when God is orchestrating the events, like the conductor of an orchestra or the director of a major production, the timing was perfect. And every single event perfectly planned, although none of them knew they were a part of this incredible journey. Galatians 4.4 said, but when the time had fully come, when the time was right, at that perfect moment in time, God sent forth his son. Christmas Story is an extraordinary series of miracles taking place in a perfectly planned environment happening to ordinary people orchestrated by an extraordinary God. The story is found that I'm sure you're familiar with in Luke chapter 2. In those days, that day when Jesus was born, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census be taken of the entire Roman world. It was the first one that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So everyone went to his own town to register. Joseph being from that town, went up from Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, lied him in a manger because there was no room for them, for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. As you can imagine, they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign. You'll find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, We've got to see this. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they saw him, they spread the word concerning what the, had been told them about the child. Everyone who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told, exactly the way God orchestrated it. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer talks about timing. It's a familiar section that many of you have heard before. To everything there is a season, a time for every event. Verse 11 says, he's made everything beautiful in its time and has set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom, and that is an understatement, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. There were 300 prophecies in the Old Testament, and many of them concerning the birth of Christ. Of all the continents, of all the countries, of all the regions, of all the villages, God, hundreds of years before Christ, predicted Bethlehem. <clears throat> He said the Messiah would come from the nation of Israel, from the tribe of Judah, from the house of David. Isaiah said the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Micah said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But how is God going to do that? What's going to bring the Christ child to that specific spot at that right time? Some say for the very first time, for the very first census in history, they came. There was a decree that all the citizens go back to their hometown. Now, Julius Caesar had died before the time of Christ. Under him, an enormous amount of civil war 
very unsafe to travel. But when Augustus Caesar came into power, that you read about in the first verse, some years before Christ again, peace settled in. A little bit more able to travel. This census that Augustus wanted was a way of showing his power and the size of his territory. But the real event that took place that night as a result of the census was the birth of Christ. Many theologians disagree about when it took place. Most would say somewhere between 4 B.C. and 6 A.D., which would fit exactly the time that Quirinius was governor of Syria that he speaks about in the first verse. Most historians date their events based on those in leadership. Verse 3 could indicate that Joseph had some property in Bethlehem, or at least from that particular town. The thought that he owned some, or at least had some connections there, would help us understand how when the Magi showed up a year or two later, they would still be there. It's fascinating when you study Scripture and recognize the series of events that unfolded from beginning to end for this story. It's incredible. He went there with Mary. How would he get married there and why? Most tax laws would have required only the head of the household. But the kind of man that Matthew portrays Joseph to be would tell us that he wouldn't leave her alone that late in his pregnancy, her pregnancy. Plus, the circumstances of her pregnancy probably deprived her of some other friends. But it also fulfills what the prophet predicted, that the Christ child would be born in Bethlehem. So naturally, the timing had to be perfect for her to go. While she was there, verse 6, the time came for her baby to be born. At that very right moment, Galatians says, God parted heaven and sent his son. Verse 7, a son. No surprise, no sonogram, no reveal party. The reveal party had already taken place when Gabriel said, by the way, you're going to have a son. And it was exactly what it was. She laid him in a manger. You know the story, most likely a feeding trough. And I'm sure maybe at some point in your early days with Jesus, you wondered, why there of all places? But verse 12 said, this will be a sign. You'll find the baby in a feeding trough. I got to believe that a baby in a feeding trough was pretty easy to find. It's not like they had to bypass 27 other babies in different feeding troughs to find the right one. There was only one. God orchestrated it in incredible ways so that they could find the exact one they came to see and to celebrate. King James Version said she laid him in swaddling clothes, long cloth strips, in most cases to keep the baby's limbs straight in the developmental process. But if you know anything about Scripture, you'll also know that those same kind of cloths were the one they used when someone was buried which was very similar to the cloths that Jesus had wrapped around his body when he resurrected from the dead that you saw in a video a moment ago he left behind. Fascinating timing of God to, of all things, do that at that very moment. Ordinary event orchestrated by an extraordinary God. If we're not careful, we have a tendency at times to always look for the sensational or the miraculous so that we really then believe in God. But the greatest miracle of all, God's greatest work, came in the quiet and simplicity of everyday life. The supreme ruler of the universe among his own cattle. Who could imagine God in a stable? The king of kings and the lord of lords in a barn. That's how he came. Verse 8, shepherds living out in the fields. Living in the fields would indicate, most likely, 
that it all took place somewhere in April. It wasn't until a few centuries later that Roman Christians adopted tomorrow, February the, or December the 25th as Christmas, as a way of superseding a pagan Roman festival scheduled at the same time. Now, living nearby, it says in verse 8, indicates to us that these shepherds were watching sheep raised for the temple sacrifice, which makes the appearance to them incredibly significant. Of all the shepherds in all the field, those were the ones that were chosen. Because ultimately, that sacrificial lamb that they had been raising, that was somewhere, sometime going to be sacrificed for their sins, was ultimately going to become the Son of God, who would give himself so that no longer any other sacrifices had to be made. He would become, as you saw on the strip a lot ago, the perfect sacrifice. And the perfect sacrificial lamb. And of all people in all places, he came there. Verse 10, great news for whom? Everybody. Nobody gets left out. No select group. None that fit the criteria. Others left out. This is incredible news for everyone. You and I have heard the story over and again, probably a hundred times, maybe even more than that in your journey of life. It's been rehearsed for over 2,000 years. What I find fascinating about the story is that Jesus never, ever discusses the events of his coming. It's not long one day like he said to his disciples, you've got to hear this. Do you have any idea who came to my first birthday party? Do you have any idea who came to the second one of the gifts we got? None of that is ever discussed in any of his three-year ministry on earth. He never spends any time telling us how he came. He spends three years telling us why he came. So that you and I could be rescued, redeemed, set free by the blood of Christ and given a life that is incredible and a promise for eternity that nothing can ever, ever take away. He came to die for your sins and mine. So many events, perfectly orchestrated, perfect timing. So that you and I could be rescued from darkness, have our broken relationship from the beginning of time, destroyed between us and God, now reunited when we accept Christ as our Savior, and we have the opportunity to bow our knee sing our praises to the God of the universe and know that when we know him as Savior, he calls us his sons and his daughters. It's incredible. An event orchestrated by God unfolded on a quiet night in Bethlehem. Now, in light of all of that, let me ask you two questions. Do you think that a God who could do all of that and orchestrate these events the way he did to bring his son into the world to offer us life and life eternal, exactly the way Scripture for hundreds of years predicted that it would be, can do a good job of running your life and mine? Probably better than you and I could run our own life. The God of the universe who did all of that, I've got to believe if we fully understand what He did and how He allowed it to happen and how it came to be is the God that wants to run your life and mine. And if He can do that, he can have my life because I know he can do it better than me. And the second question is, knowing all that you now know or maybe have known about what God can do and has done, i got to believe that you probably then respect the fact that when he puts all the pieces of your life together, he knows what he's doing, even though to you and I it may not make sense at the time. But what we have to decide is, do I trust that God who can do all of this with all of me?
174 years ago, a British writer, horrified by the conditions under which children were made to labor in tin mines, decided to write a pamphlet intended to entitle it an appeal of the people of England on behalf of a poor man's child. He changed his mind. Instead of a pamphlet, he wrote a novel making the same points. The novel, A Christmas Carol, one that we've heard for hundreds and hundreds of years. It has never been out of print, and it illustrates the power of an amazing story. Power of sorrow and joy, story of corruption and redemption, poverty and pain, hope and love. What fascinates me about that is that you and I are celebrating a story that was written over 2,000 years ago, written in a book that has never been out of print, that over and over and over again tells an incredible story of love and grace, sorrow and joy, corruption and redemption, poverty and pain, hope and joy that has been there for all of time, stood the test of time, and will stand the test of time because he said heaven and earth will pass away, never my word. And a God who could do all of that and sustain that kind of power with an amazing story is the God that I'm delighted to give my life to. And I hope you are as well. So tonight when we sing in a moment and celebrate and sing in the solemnness of silent night and holy night and sing in the celebration of joy to the world, if you know Christ as your Savior and you've given your life over to Him and you've watched Him orchestrate the events of your life, I've got to believe that you want to celebrate. Because if that God can do all of this, boy, I'm trusting Him to run my life. And to be honest with you, it's not everything I expected, but it's been incredible. And I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. If you do not know Christ as your Savior, tonight would be the absolute greatest night of your life. Confessing your sins and giving your life to Him and recognizing because of what He's done on the cross, you can have life now and eternal life. Nothing will ever be offered to you greater than that. Pam's going to lead us in the holy night in a minute, and then Danielle's going to come and lead us in silent night. Those of you who are in the front row have been honored tonight to help us light all the candles. So at that time when Danielle begins to sing, you light, start in the back, and we'll join in the middle. And by the lighting of the candles, we symbolize a number of things. Jesus is the light of the world symbolizes the solemnness and stillness and quietness of that amazing night. And it gives it the opportunity then when we blow them out and sing and celebrate to recognize the joy of what this season brings. We ask you to hold on to them until that wax dries after you blow them all out because we've cleaned up a lot between the first two services. Just hold them for a moment and then we're going to sing and celebrate. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace still amazes me when so many times I've read this story, so many times I've shared this story. So many sermons shared. And I'm still astounded by how you put everything together to allow it to happen perfectly as it did. So when I look at my life and many of us in this room look at our own lives and recognize in amazement what you've done for us and to us and with us, we just come and stand in awe and celebration for what you've provided, what you've given. For those who do not know you as Savior, may tonight, today be the day where they commit their lives to you and recognize they've not been able to run it like they needed to. But you, you can do it in a marvelous way. <coughs> 
So may tonight, today be the day they receive you as Savior and celebrate like never before. In the name of Christ we pray.